We're sitting down here at the Gallagher Business Building, which is a place of great innovation. And I stayed up way too late last night before I was coming in here to Studio 49, uh, researching and then messing around with uh, chat GDP. Is that what it is? Chat GPT. GPT. I yeah. still can't even get it right. Yeah, I mean, uh, those guys, re- I mean... In retrospect, thinking of the amount of airtime they would have <laughs> captured, they maybe could have come up with a little bit of a better brand um, identity, name, all of it. Justin Angle, back from vacation. It's a business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. And we're going to get into some sports and business, as we always do. But I just wanted to ask you about the phenomenon of this, because, I mean, there we could have a whole rabbit hole conversation about AI in general, mm-hmm. what it's going to impact society and everything. But from a pure business and particularly financial standpoint, the fact that chat GPT is uh, largely unperfected, largely unrefined, uh, full of errors, yep. yet it had like 100 million users yep. right out the gate. I mean, for example, it took Instagram, I think, like seven years to even get 10 million users. Facebook, I mean, that was just Mark Zuckerberg in the dorms forever until yeah. all of a sudden it was like, you know, five, six, seven years. Obviously, stuff moves quicker now, but... It's fascinating. I was messing around with it last night. Sac State's women's basketball coach left to take a job at TCU. So I said, hey, write me a story about Mark Campbell heading to TCU. Yeah. Well, I wrote an incorrect story because there's three Mark Campbells in college basketball. Sure. So he wrote one about <laughs> Portland's coach instead of Sac State. Yep. And I said, write me a story about Sac State's coach going to TCU. Oh, Mark Campbell, he went this and this and this at Sacramento State. I, I, I was My mind is blown. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Yeah, when you think about the race in journalism for speed, right? Like, you know, oh, creating man. content rapidly yeah. with regard to changing stories, breaking news, etc. Like, the, you think of the applications of ChatGPT, it, it, it's got to be threatening for journalists. But at the same time, it's threatening to information value in the sense that speed, as we see, like with the emerging sure. infor- emerging disasters in particular, or like live shootings, those sorts of things, oftentimes the first reported information is not correct. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because I was sitting there weighing the pros and cons in my mind. Pro, like in my world, a very simple 30-second radio commercial. Hey, give me the, the who, what, when, where, why about, you know, this coffee shop. Oh, yeah. Oh, this coffee shop's located here and here and here. Here you can get 350 lattes, boom. And then you could edit that pretty Easily, and yeah, it gives you an awesome first draft. Well, that's right. instantly. Uh, that's right. Yeah, uh, you know things like Mark Campbell going to TCU. Okay, you specify the right thing. Okay, here it gives you three paragraphs about this. Very simple. Okay, it's not a shooting, so okay, we're good there. But the cons, I don't think it could ever replicate like the human. Well, maybe not ever. That's that's a broad statement. Yeah. But in its current iteration, like I wrote a story on Raekwon Battle from Montana State, who's the only Native American basketball player in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Wow. And so much of that story was about life on Indian reservations in Montana and so many of the things I've learned throughout my career of covering this stuff. I I find it impossible that AI could be able to write with that level of context and feeling uh, as of right now. And I think that's the part that saves us is that there is still human elements to some of this stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd say an instance like that where, you know, the, the, the way that ChatGPT works is it it takes and it scans all available uh-huh, content, uh-huh. Or not all, as much as it can sure. ingest and comes up with a storyline. And in the case of a novel event or novel situation, it's harder for it to do that. However, right. 
it can pretty rapidly gather information that is contextually relevant, maybe more rapidly than a reporter. However, the, the, the filtering mechanism might not be as good at the onset. So it's going to be really interesting to see like how this disrupts various industries, which industries are kind of most susceptible, which ones are most adaptive. Yeah. You know, I, I think of it in terms of education, like people are panicking about how are we going to prevent students from cheating and all this stuff? And how, like, how are we going to teach writing? And it's probably the same stuff math teachers were saying sure. when calculators kind of became right. mainstream. And now, you know, years from now, it'll be a tool that we use. And the question is, can we figure out how to harness it to improve learning, right. to improve outcomes, to maybe to customize experiences for students? Um instead of thinking of it in terms of doom and gloom and, and and we also should be careful like we don't want it to, we don't want it to become a force that makes us sort of stupider if you will mm. <laughs> that great advice for everybody we don't want anything in the world that's going to make us any stupider that's right that's <laughs> it's the business right. angle presented by blackfoot communications if you want to find out how blackfoot can help your small business visit goblackfoot.com justin angle joining us here uh, Nuwana's now. We're going to talk a lot of NCAA tournament stuff and sort of rehash some of the numbers we went over during the show on Monday. But first, I wanted to talk a little bit about the World Baseball Classic. I've actually found myself sort of engaged in the World Baseball Classic a little bit more than I thought I was going to be. Part of that's because the Twitter algorithm changed. So somehow, like, baseball writers sure. are landing on my deal when I used to not follow any baseball people. Now, you know, secondarily, because I follow a bunch of sports people, they're, they're giving it to me, which is fine. There is actually several really good baseball journalist Jeff Passan is uh Passan excuse me is is awesome um but the World Baseball Classic has had a lot of funny stories going on in it and then it culminated last night with uh Japan and America playing for the championship and then you got basically the clash of the titans Mike Trout and Shohei Otani got to go against each other these guys are teammates in right. in uh the the normal baseball world but they got to go against each other in Japan wins three to two so this brought a bunch of stuff to my mind first of all a, a ninth inning showdown between Otani and Trout is like what like Michael Jordan and LeBron James playing one-on-one I mean that's like the the, the kings of baseball yeah yet it, it wasn't blowing up the world like there was a certain amount of no, level of people talking about it a little bit but it wasn't the crazy hype that you'd expect I think it's just my baseball in a microcosm there you know perhaps at the same time like if Jordan and LeBron or Steph Curry and LeBron or whoever were to pair up in a in a one-on-one, you'd kind of know it was coming. You know, with the the World Baseball Classic, there was this potential that Otani and Trout would face off, but very few predict I don't know if anybody predicted the the situation and the consequence of that situation right. that unfolded. So it was sort of this thing that unfolded pretty organically. Sure. Uh, that was hard to predict. Right. In a bit of an obscure event to begin with. Yeah, it's not Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods, the match that's promoted for months and months and months. A lot of things had to go a certain way for that to happen. I think that's one thing that makes baseball great and also probably draws away from baseball is like in the NBA Finals, you probably are going to see the two best players going at it. Mm -hmm. Whereas this, like you need this guy to get a hit and this guy to get a hit to all of a sudden set this scenario up for a ninth inning battle with this many outs or whatever in the game on the line. Yeah, so it rewards the committed fan, right? Like the the, the people who are baseballaholics, they probably were like loving life last night, right? For sure. But the people, the casual fan that kind of gets drawn into the finals or drawn in 
for the moments or, or, or all that sort of stuff. Those people were left behind. Like, they didn't even know it was happening. Then uh, one last question on this World Baseball Classic. Uh, this had decent ratings in America. Mm-hmm. Every, the games are getting like 2 to 2.5 yeah. rating share. So that's you know a couple million people. And we were talking about it, which is kind of Certainly. a novelty. But part of it I thought was so fun because I actually thought that this was one of the things that made this really good for the game of baseball was that you had certain countries in this World Baseball Classic that don't have anybody that are even close to major leaguers. Yeah. Yeah. And when you'd watch that, like when you'd watch Great Britain or the Netherlands versus. Dominican Republic or the United States, it was just like, oh my gosh, these guys that are actually the pros are so good. Right. Like that poor patient from the Netherlands when he was going <laughs> against the United States, he's got to go against Arenado and Trout. And this kid's like 19 years old. He's not even good enough to play for the Missoula Paddleheads probably. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like out there melting. So that was, that was entertaining. Um, but then I also think you see, and this has been a continued trend, but sort of a, a peak of this is how big baseball's become in Japan. Mm-hmm. These games are getting like 65 million viewers in Japan. Japan yeah. wins the World Baseball Classic. You got Otani, who is a huge star in America, but he is like a global superstar, especially Absolutely. when you go to his home country. Uh, so is there a way for Major League Baseball to capitalize on this Japanese audience any more than they already do? I mean, I don't know. If, if, if you're Japan, are you saying the inverse? Are right, you saying, right, like, right. should we try to capitalize right. on this American audience more than we are? Totally. Um, so it depends on where you put the power center. For if sure. Japan has surpassed the United States in terms of overall baseball quality, maybe this flows the other way. So it's, it's hard to, you, know, you kind of wow. have to shift your perspective. Yeah. Um, is there a way they could, you know, combine their leagues such that, you know, you have Japan, the best team in professional baseball in Japan? Face off against the best, the the World Series winner, right? In some World Championship, or you know, I guess you can't call it the World Series anymore. Sure, right. And the Universe Series, who knows what? <laughs> yeah. It'd be overly arrogant, but yeah, I think that's the way that you kind of have to think about it. It is hard when you're dealing with the the Major League Baseball schedule. You know, those guys are playing right. almost every day. Totally. So to have a trip to Japan. Is it's it's almost impractical. Like you couldn't really build in enough time and enough rest unless they address the length of the season or the number of games or somehow uh, make an accommodation. I think it's pragmatically a little bit difficult. Although there's talk that uh, supersonic air travel is coming back, so you know maybe <laughs> maybe that'll fix the problem. The business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications down here at Studio Forty Nine at the Gallagher Business Building on the University of Montana campus. Justin Angle joining us. Um, I've thought so much. I, this is like my my most constant shtick on this show is my my internal battle with baseball because baseball is what brought me to sports. Sure. It was my favorite sport. It was my favorite sport to play, my favorite sport to collect, my favorite sport to play video games on, all of it. Mm-hmm. I still love going and having a catch in the backyard. I you know, I'd love helping coach my nephews and all that stuff. Uh, but in terms of Major League Baseball, it doesn't captivate my attention. Part of that's just brain space. And But I think that the number one argument I have is the magnitude of the games. Yeah. I do like baseball when it gets to be September and it's the pennant race or October and it's sure. the playoffs. It's the, you know, if I don't have anything better to do on a July Saturday, then maybe. But, like, there's always something better to do on a yeah. July Saturday yeah. in in Missoula or in Montana, right? So I, I always wonder that. I think that baseball's trying to make the game more... It's, it's, they're trying to expedite the game, make it faster, more fast-paced, all that stuff. 
I don't think it's the actual singularity of the game. It's the magnitude of each game that I think that draws away from modern-day attention spans. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, the attention span, the media cycle, um, all of the, the, the pace of information, the accessibility of information... Uh, all of the 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 data and and statistical analysis that goes into baseball, I think these things all roll up into a lack of consequence of most of the games now. Right, right. Um, it, because you see, like, you think about load management. That's a big kind of right. topic in the NBA right now. We've talked about it on this show. Well, that plays out in baseball. Sure. You know, managing pitchers' load, managing hitters' load. You're you're, you're measuring the impact of travel and fatigue. You get all these metrics. Yeah. And the rigor of the the MLB season and the length of it make it such that yeah, the, the franchise is recognized. Sure. That every <laughs> a lot of the games right. don't have as much consequence, totally. so they can fi- they can optimize their, their schedule around okay, who we're going to play on what days and how many reps and 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 that makes for less compelling content, less uncertainty in outcomes, and that uh, you know, those and a bunch of other factors kind of undermine the the reach that that Major League Baseball can can have. Well, they think about the cost for in-game attendance and things like that, too, and it's like now, in the NFL, you can almost certainly identify when someone's going to be hurt or not because the NFL has such a good policy in terms of injury reports. So you know if you're going to Denver Broncos game, you want to see Russell Wilson, he's going to throw some passes for you, right? Yep. You're going to see these guys that you're paying big tickets. Does he still play, Russell Wilson? (laughs) Does he still throw passes? Right, right. Sorry, Uh, that was a cheap shot. (laughs) But you, you you know you're going to see Rodgers go throw a bunch of balls, whatever. Uh, in the NBA, that's been one of the biggest hits they've taken yeah. is this load management. You know, you save up all your money and you go watch LeBron, and LeBron doesn't play. Mm-hmm. That's really disappointing. The thing about ma- baseball is even twofold. Your guy might not play, or he might play. He might only get three at-bats. He might strike out all three times, even though he's one of the greatest players in the history of the right. game, because right. that's just what happens in baseball as well. So, uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting to continue to debate, because I do think we've seen so much of this impact, just the, the hierarchy of professional sports in America. Yeah, and you think about the kind of job of a player and a coach and all of the staff. Like One of the things they are trying to manage and eliminate as much as possible is uncertainty right they they want to get as certain that's right uh, certain a situation they want to optimize a strategy yep they want to be as certain of an outcome as they can be yep. and why do we watch sports because of the uncertainty right, right? like that's right. what makes it as compelling and beautiful a thing as it is yet the forces that are competing are trying to create un- are trying to create certainty. So the, these the the, op, the the sort of these things are diametrically opposed. For sure. And as we get better at eliminating uncertainty, the game maybe gets less uh, entertaining. And so we're going to see an inflection point there. And both sides are are correct too, right? The person that saves absolutely. up all their money to go watch LeBron James play in Oklahoma City is absolutely justified in being mad if he doesn't play. Sure. Whereas also LeBron James is absolutely justified in wanting to be his best by the time the playoffs roll around to do what's best for himself, his team, his franchise. We're responding run. to incentives. That's all it is, right? <laughs> exactly right. Nuanas now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. 
we get we have fans. I was down uh, last week at uh, Red's Bar watching some uh, Thursday Madness. I brought my computer. Everybody's uh-huh. looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm working, but I wanted to be around all of you, so here we are. Sure. And uh, we were watching the first round, and it's always one of the great days in sports just because there's just so much chaos, and there's eight games going on at once, and it's just so fun. And... Uh, couple of the old-timers there, they're regulars there, they come up and say, you know what segments I love? I love the, your two best segments are the chick who doesn't know sports and the business angle with Justin A. Oh, so wow, we, okay. We, we got, we got uh, good fans, and I uh, appreciate them for always. We should do a crossover. <laughs> yeah, right? We should do a little live episode down there at Reds. I'll, I'll call you, Mike. Uh, but on the note of the NCAA tournament, now here we are. It's always so chaotic the first couple days, and then all of a sudden the first weekend ends, and then you got 16 teams left. Uh-huh. And this year, I think that there's a spin that this is one of the craziest Sweet 16s ever because we've had two number one seeds in the women's tournament and two number one seeds in the men's tournament both lose before the Sweet yeah. 16. Yeah, That is a little crazy, especially when it comes to the women. I think that shows you progress of... The women's game quite a bit because it used to be the one seeds just pencil them into the elite eight because they were just so powerful. Yeah, I think you got different stories unfolding right. on the men's and women's side here. But on the men's side, you know the fact that Kansas Purdue both lost uh, not that surprising just because Kansas doesn't really have a coach in the current iteration and Purdue has sort of been a dud in the NCAA tournament after being good in the Big Ten tournament for several years in a row. But this all brings me around to then looking at this Sweet Sixteen, and I broke this down a little bit on Monday, but I want to get your perspective. Of the Sweet 16 teams, 14 of them have top 90 budgets yeah. in terms of their revenue, or excuse me, in terms of what they're spending, but also what they're making in terms of revenue. And you look at most of these teams, they're more like top 50. Even teams like Creighton and Xavier and Gonzaga and UConn, teams that you'd consider maybe not Power 5 teams, but they're certainly power powerful t- programs in basketball. Yes. Uh, so I just wanted to get your perspective for a lot of different reasons. But Bradley, I mean, even though you know you see an eight seed in Arkansas or a seven seed in Michigan State in in the Sweet Sixteen, I mean both those teams have won national championships. Like these are not Cinderellas that are in the in the Sweet Sixteen this year. Yeah, I, I think there's a variety of things that could be happening here. You know, I, I think a conspiracy theorist would say that you know that the NCAA selection committee is trying to pack as many big-time programs into the bracket as they can justify. And so some of these teams that, you know, it is odd to see a Michigan State as a low seed and Alabama as a low seed, but and maybe giving them a low seed is a way to let them into the tournament. And that crowds out other entries. Another way to interpret that is probably, in my view, what's happening is it's a result of consolidation. Yeah. Right? Like you've got stronger conferences that are deeper. And so, and and, and more intense competition within those conferences. Right. And as a result, teams are going to have worse records. Right. If you if you can if you condense a lot of good teams into a single conference and they had to play each other twice a year, teams are just going to have worse records within those conferences. Yet they're they're the better teams, and so they're going to crowd out other mid mid level. This is the eternal argument, right? The Big Ten got eight teams into the tournament. Only one is into the Sweet Sixteen. But it's it it actually justifies the argument that the sixth best team in the in the Big Ten is better than this conference champion. That's going to be the argument we have going forward is the, the schools that win 25 to 30 games in small leagues but then don't win their conference tournaments or you know maybe they finish second or whatever and they 
they're getting passed over for the team that finished eighth in the SEC. That's going to be the the argument that's going to be pretty loud here going forward. And it depends on what you want. What do you want in the right. tournament? Is the tournament supposed to be, you know, a ranked order of the sixty eight best teams? Sure. I think it's sixty eight now, yeah, right? Sixty eight, yeah. Yeah, the, the sixty eight best teams in the country. Right. That's a very different project than all of these conferences having automatic sure. bids. Right. And I, in many ways, it's a it's. It's a business question, like what is it that you're trying to do? It's sort of a competition question. And then, you know, also it's a political question. Sure. Right, that the NCAA is managing all these conferences and thinking of all the revenue implications and how do we, you know, we have this money-making machine. How do we spread that wealth in a way that, you know, kind of creates the incentives we want it to create? These are These are kind of big, complicated questions. That's my biggest question then is, you know, on one hand, the cynic in me wants to say, if you just were to make a tournament that's just the 64 biggest spenders or, you know, you take the top 100 biggest spenders and pick the 64 best teams out of that, that's one way of doing this. But what do you think is better for the NCAA as a whole from a strictly a business and money-making standpoint? Because... Part of why they make money is because Barry Dickinson beats Purdue, right? That's what captivates the viewers. Everybody at this point's watching this no matter what anyways, though. So what's better, having a bunch of powerhouse teams that maybe have bigger fan bases or having the Princetons of the world that are sort of representing for the little guy? Yeah, and I guess I would question the, 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 the structure of your question. When you say, right. what is better for the NCAA? Like, what is the NCAA? Right. It's an organization right. that administers tournaments. Sure. Right. And so what does it want? It wants these tournaments to be seen as legitimate, right. to be seen as the legitimate championship events for these teams or for these institutions that are kind right. of independent of it. It also wants to generate revenue, not so much for itself, although it does, but also in a way that gives it power to allocate that revenue to these programs that it kind of relies on to drive its championships. So the NCAA has a, as it's got to justify its existence, both with legitimacy of outcomes, right? right? So you got to have fairness in the process. You got to have the right teams in the tournament and the right places that, that make it far. Like if Princeton wins a national championship, that's kind of a cool story. For sure. Right. But there's a lot of programs that are looking at that, like, is that, or there's a lot of people in the country thinking, is that really the best team in the country? Probably <laughs> not, right? That would be so ironic, too, because if another 15 seed were to win the national championship, what it would do for their their brand would be so unbelievably immense. Whereas Princeton, it would be great for Princeton, but Princeton already has an immense, unbelievable brand. Yeah, and they're not going to be able to offer athletic scholarships. The Ivy League <laughs> precludes right. that. They're that's not right. going to be able. To... Even if their, uh, you know, uh, their applications go up five hundred percent, that's fine. <laughs> Nobody's getting into Princeton. Yeah. The same amount of people are getting in, no matter what. Yeah, they're they're on a different project <laughs> than right. uh, Farley Dickinson or whoever it is, right? <laughs> yeah. No one is now ESPN Radio, the uh, business angle with Justin Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. The other thing I was str- struck by. And looking at these numbers is some of the schools that are making a tremendous amount of money on basketball, right? Other schools that are maybe breaking even on basketball, and then other schools like here in Montana, Montana, and Montana State that are losing money on basketball. These numbers are a couple years old, uh, but it's still pretty a pretty good framework. Uh, but for example, Montana State lost I think uh, about one point five million. Or excuse mm-hmm. me, is that right? No, about five hundred thousand. Yeah, in bas- in, in in basketball money, and the Grizz lost about four hundred thousand in basketball money. That's the other thing, and this goes. This is sort of a, a stemming off of the eternal question. Now is what is the NCAA? What is college sports? Is it you know 
administering the, the most competitive field, or is it all about making money? And that's the thing I think these universities have to ask themselves, too. Is losing money in basketball still beneficial for your university because it benefits you in other ways. I do think the Montana schools have a lot to look at when it comes to this. You know, you mentioned maybe Montana State's on an upward trajectory, so maybe they have the potential to someday start making money on basketball. I'm not sure. Uh, what do you think of just sort of uh, the fact that in this revenue generation model that these schools aren't generating what they're spending? Yeah, it's hard to evaluate these numbers because there's not really standardization in how they're reported. That's true, too. And, and any institution, when it's reporting these numbers, is trying to tell you a story. Um, and you got to kind of decipher what that story is. So, And you got to think about the context, as you mentioned a moment ago. Like, where is this institution in its... And it's life cycle. You're like, look at it in the business life cycle. Is it in growth mode? Sure. If a company's in growth mode, it's likely they're spending more than they're making, right? They're trying to acquire new customers, and new customers are expensive to acquire. Right. And, and they're maybe not paying you, you know, they're not generating revenue for you yet. So you can survive a short, well, it depends on the company. <laughs> We're yeah. sort of facing a, a, a bit of a... Um, um, the word's escaping me, but the, like a reckoning in the tech sector right, right now. Right, like, right, Anyway, as an aside. But but yeah, so looking at Montana State, yeah, they're losing a half a million dollars. They're spending $2 million to generate $1.8 million. Um, you know, but they're they're arguably in growth mode, and they've they've got a football team that's been on the rise, sure. and maybe that's a, a revenue maker, and maybe, you know, you can, you can sort of show revenue in one area, show profit in one area and a loss in another and you can manage these things a little bit. I would look at the Montana State numbers and I would be concerned, right? We're, we're, I'm sorry, I would look at the University of Montana right, numbers right. and I would be a little bit concerned, right? right? Like our team has been up and down Middle the last few years. years. I mean, yeah. since the pandemic cancel yep. year, the tournament being canceled, yep. which... No 20-win no seasons, no sellouts. Yeah, and yep. so that's a bit of a concern. Why are, why are we not breaking even or generating revenue? Are we trying to? Yeah. Right? Is that an objective they're, they're trying to manage to? And if so, it is a concern. Because if you see a, a, a team that is spending more than it's making, you want to see a trajectory that is upward. There is one caveat that comes here, and that is where these schools are located. Absolutely. And basketball season is during the winter, and it's inherently very expensive to get in and out of Montana yep. during the winter. So that does add to some costs. Uh, I think the other thing is we've seen sort of a little bit of a flattening the curve in terms of the direct flights that are available out of both Missoula and Bozeman, particularly Bozeman. That's helped Montana State a lot in a lot of different sports in recruiting because you can get in and out of places like Dallas and Chicago yeah. and New York. To, to recruit kids a little bit more affordably. Um, that's the other thing then I, I fall back to then the coaches are sort of autonomous in who they recruit and coaches, especially in mid to low major athletics are certainly not going to be recruiting based solely on or even motivated at all by business success or you know revenue generation. Ironically, the Lady Grizz for a long time mm -hmm. had this like symbiotic relationship that just was sort of coincidental but also helped the school so much. Robin Selvig put such a high priority on recruiting in-state girls. Right. That's a great business decision. He wasn't doing it because of that, but it is, right? I think about this all the time. 
why wouldn't you just go recruit the kid out of Butte, Montana, who's going to be like Montana State's kind of got this coincidental thing going on right now with Tommy Malott. They recruited Tommy Malott because he's a great athlete. He also just happens to be from the most historic city in the state, and he right. becomes the most brandable guy in their athletic department, and that's big for you. But like right now, there's a kid at Butte Central. It'd be a great business decision for the basketball teams to recruit him. Is he good enough to play at this level yet? I'm not really sure, but it would, it would garner more fans. But you don't want to, I don't know. It's a slippery slope to be recruiting based on business, but but is it? I don't know. It's uh, it's an eternal question. Yeah, it, it kind of in the Montana case of the Montana schools because there's not TV revenue as a big part of the the operation. You got to look at your primary driver of financial performance, and that right. is how many butts you put in seats, right? right? right. And, and to some degree, it's the structure of your facility. That's a longer a, a longer project because it's harder to change the nature of your facility, but you know set that aside for a moment, you got to put people in the seats. So uh, recruiting the local talent will do that, right? Save for recruiting some like, you know, blue chip prospect that the whole country knows about that your likelihood, that's rolling the dice and your likelihood of getting that person is pretty limited, I think. Um, But otherwise, yeah, recruiting those local kids is a great way to go. And like with with Coach Selvig, like recruiting on the reservations was a great... For sure. I mean, it was a great strategy for many reasons. It it opens up opportunity to to, to populations that hadn't had those sorts of opportunities. It widens your fan base. It, It does so many good things on so many dimensions. But one of the outcomes is it starts to bring more people into the arena, and that's good for financial performance. So it's one of those situations where I think the incentives align for really good outcomes to pursue these kids and give them opportunities within your state. Business Angle with Justin Angle here at the Gallagher Business Building, Studio 49. Do this every couple of weeks. It's presented by Blackfoot Communications. Go check out goblackfoot.com, where they're in the market for fiber, you help with your small business network or anything in between, go blackfoot.com. Okay, last thing for you then. Yeah. Uh, Fairly Dickinson was like the story of the first round. And I, I'm it's it's undeniable how um good winning a game as a 16 seed against a Big Ten power like Purdue can be for your school. I mean, I think the numbers that they were throwing around on Twitter is terms of people that are Googling it and stuff. I oh, mean, yeah. it's it's great for your exposure. But also then this day and age, it shows you some warts as well, and also then it can lead to abrupt changes. Fairly Dickinson's coach went from crying at the press conference to on his way to Iona in less than a week. Like yeah, yeah. The guy didn't even get to bask in the glory of the win. He's already out the door, and now they're looking for a new coach. Can they even get back to the point they're at without him? I'm not sure. Then there was also the story of the FDU Sports Information Director. It's like this 20-year-old kid sitting courtside at the game. CBS wanted it to be a cute story, but really it was the story of how the school has no money, and so they're paying a student to do a gigantic media relations job. Yeah, they have job. a student intern doing this full-time <laughs> doing, job. Yeah. Doing this massive media relations job. So, I don't know. I guess, I guess there, it's not all roses when this happens, but objectively, I think it is uh, better than it is. There's there's more good than bad. Oh, absolutely. And it depends on what, you know, as a university, what is it that you're looking for? Um, do you want to generate more enrollment? Some universities don't. Some universities do. Do you want to generate more donor support? Right. Uh, do you want to improve your basketball team? Do you want more fans? Like all, all these sorts of things. So in the case of Fairleigh Dickinson, yeah, like it, an outcome like that 
probably will boost your enrollment because it just gets the brand on more people's radar, right? People are Googling it. They're like, oh, wow, they have a great whatever academic program. And, oh, yeah, it's in a cool place. And, you know, maybe my daughter or your daughter, whoever would want to go look at that school. So it just kind of, it, it widens the net. But as far as like building a basketball program, yeah, if you lose your coach, if you lose the architect of that success, it, it could be short-lived. At the same time, you know, great players on the court who did a good job and, and it becomes an attractive place for up-and-coming coaches. Like if you're an up-and-coming coach, you're thinking, oh, I could do some cool stuff there. And so maybe it becomes an attractive position. So I don't think there's much downside in, in what's happened. Blackfoot Communications has been serving Montana homes more than six decades, providing communities with new and better ways to communicate in and connect to an ever-changing world. To learn more about how Blackfoot can provide the right services for your business, visit goblackfoot.com, a business angle every other week here on Nuanas Now. I want to talk about uh, full swing, but we'll save that until it's a little bit more toward golf season. Uh, but thanks for being here, man. Good to see you. Absolutely. Good to see you, too. Thanks.